Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their financial vineyard and life. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today, we're going to be talking about chat tax strategies by goals. We don't have a guest this week, but if you recall last week, because we were also talking about taxes, I said, get out the port. It's a discussion that needs to be sipped while we, while we actually uh, talk through it. This is a little more exciting because we're talking about choosing goals that we have in life and matching them up to tax strategies. So basically using taxes to pay for some of the goals or tax advantages of saving for particular goals. So I'm going to dig in pretty deep here. And I do have an attachment that um, you can have in the show notes that sort of lays this out a little bit as well in a chart form. But some of it just needs some additional commentary that goes with it. So let's assume that one of your tax strategies is to fund your child or grandchild's education in future. How can you go about doing that? Well, option number one is a 529 plan. Now, I have to say, don't forget to wrap up a note saying to, you did it and give this to your child for birthday, holiday. Research, research actually shows that children who know money was set aside are much more likely to attend a college or a trade school. So, you know, it's if you recall in 2018, we can now in some cases in some states use the 529 to pay for K through 12, but we can absolutely use it for trade schools. So you can put money in this 529. The contributions may be tax deductible from state income taxes if your state has a plan. The risks associated with it, however, are that money held in outside um, assets like this are counted as a parental um, parental asset. Now, don't let that stop you because it's a very small percentage that it's counted and it's, it's better to have it set aside earmarked for that particular purpose. Money held outside of 401ks, 403bs, pension plans, IRAs, Roth IRAs can be subject to creditors, but some states have protection for these plans. So check your state and make sure that there is some protection built into that as well. Also, one of the tax benefits that I didn't mention was that the funds accumulate tax-free. And as long as you use them for college, then you never have to pay tax on those earnings. It, It is something that if you don't use them for college, then you will have to pay a penalty and taxes on it. But you can also transfer those funds to another family member. So down the road. 
It, it may, as I mentioned, have a small impact on the financial aid, but it's worth the savings. And if you're a grandparent that is putting money in there, we suggest that you wait until the child's junior or senior year to actually start using some of that money. Otherwise, it will count as unearned income on the FAFSA. Okay, so option number two, if you're looking to fund your children or grandchildren's education in future, there is a, a plan called a Coverdell plan. Now that is for secondary or college. Um, you can put money in a Coverdell. There's limited contributions. It can transfer from one child to another. So if you're trying to max out the options, this is also something that you can utilize. Um, there, there's some limitations on those contributions. It's not as much as a 529 plan, but it's certainly an option if you're looking to save for your child's or grandchild's education. A third option is if in your col- if your child is in college right now, be sure to plan tax credit savings and have the appropriate um, you know, documentation that you spent this money so that you can actually take advantage of it on your tax return. If the grandparent is controlling but can't claim the can't claim the credit, maybe the grandparent should actually gift to the student or the the parent who can't claim the return. So. That's something that you can think about, again, if the grandparent is the one that's putting the money aside. Now, a tax benefit for 529 is if your child doesn't use the plan for college, you can transfer it even to yourself um, or use it for outbound expenses or semesters, even overseas. So, or another child, of course. Uh, Option number four, if there's a good chance that your child might get uh, scholarships, but you want to save some money, consider saving some in a Roth IRA instead, because you can always pull the contributions from the Roth IRA and leave the earnings. The funds accumulate tax-free. If you don't need them for education, then you've got a nice bucket of money that's saved for you. But if you do need it for education, you can pull the contributions and just leave the earnings. Funds may be used for other purposes too in a Roth IRA. If you don't meet the five-year 59 and a half requirement, there may be some tax consequences if it's not for, um, if, if you take out the earnings. So just be aware of that. But if you just pull the contributions, that's fine. So those are some strategies for saving for your child's education or grandchild's education. What about if you want to fund a emergency fund? What are some of the tax strategies there? Well, option number one, actually, it's almost on repeat here. You can actually use a Roth IRA to uh, move money from a taxable account into a Roth IRA. And if you don't ever need it for emergency purposes, the money grows tax-free. You will not have to pay uh, taxes on the growth of that money. And again, if you never have to use it for an emergency, it's there for you when you retire. If you're under age 59 and a half or haven't held the, the Roth for five years or more and you withdraw any interest or income that was earned, you will pay a penalty of 10% in federal taxes on the earning. But that's why we say you can always get to the contribution, just leave the earnings and get that clock ticking right away so that you have a lot that is sitting there in contributions for possible funding of your emergency fund. Option number two is fund what's called the health savings account, or as we often refer HSA, we, we um, use that terminology, HSA stands for health savings account, if you have a high deductible health care plan. Uh, you may be wondering how funding in HSA would help you with emergency funds, but many, many emergencies 
uh, are coupled with medical expenses. So this can be used to pay for COBRA premiums, insurance premiums, if you're receiving unemployment compensation, of course, for medical expenses. HSA contributions are deductible for federal in most states, um, and but and withdrawals are not taxed as long as you use them for medical expenses. So research even shows that it's a great vehicle to accumulate for retirement since um, that is where some of the most high cost medical expenses occur. Now, a risk to that is an HSA cannot be opened unless you have a high deductible health care plan in the same year. Um, and if you have a, a what's called a flexible spending account, FSA, you can't have an HSA and an FSA unless it's a limited purpose FSA. So you can have a high deductible plan and a limited purpose flexible spending plan. But if it's a traditional spending plan, you can't have that. Or, uh, traditional FSA plus high deductible, you can't have that. So childcare FSAs are not impacted by this. And sometimes we see things like um, dental or vision, you know, limited purpose FSAs, you can have those as well. Some people will um, use the funds for non-qualified medical expenses, uh, and that actually ends up resulting in a 10% penalty. So beware of that. A third option when you're saving uh, for emergency purposes would be a savings account, which is not going to give you the tax advantage. But if you don't have an emergency fund, just doing this will be very helpful. Um, at least you'd be ready for the curveballs. And to be honest with you, if it's just a plain savings account, you're not getting a whole heck of a lot, but you wouldn't be borrowing money if you had an emergency um, and so it does help you from a, I guess, overall perspective. Um, and then you would not, you know, have to put money and lock it up into anything specific. You have to put money into something that you hope you don't use it. So that's why we were talking about the HSA and the Roth. But, you know, if, if you're not comfortable with that, then at least a, a savings account at this point in time. So moving on, thinking about funding your retirement, boy, there's lots of options uh, here, but I'll limit it to four just in the best interest of time. So one strategy that you can have for uh, saving for retirement and getting some tax benefit is to increase your contributions at work. If you have a 401k, 403b, 457, that's certainly a way that you can put money aside and you can, that's federally tax deferred money, but you can also do a Roth portion of these anymore. A lot of plans allow for a Roth portion. So if we're trying to mix up the type of money that you have, then we might put some in a tax deductible. And if you're in a lower tax bracket or you need to diversify the type of money that you have, we might also have you put some in a Roth 401k, 403 or 457. Most people know that funding IRAs and 401ks and other qualified plans reduce federal and most state taxes. Now, not all states recognize the deferral as a current year deferral, but then they usually don't tax it when you retire. So, but, but most of the time, most states do reduce um, your income by your deferral. But again, you may be wondering how funding an HSA plan helps retirement. As I mentioned above, both an HSA and a 401k does help reduce those. And people, um, I did mention with the HSA that people over 65 years old usually will spend quite a bit of money. Well, this money can be converted into something more like an IRA once you get into it. So talking about once you get to 65, so talking about saving in your 401k, 403b, and again, saving in an HSA is kind of double duty. 
Of course, if you withdraw the funds uh, from a 401k before age 59 and a half, then you pay a 10% penalty in addition to the tax. There is some exceptions to the 10% penalty, and it varies depending on whether you're talking about withdrawing the money from a 401k or an IRA. There are some variances there. Option number two, uh, if you qualify for a deductible IRA, you can fund your IRA and get a tax deduction. If you can't deduct, you should either choose a Roth IRA or a what's called a backdoor Roth IRA, which is where you contribute to a non-deductible IRA and then convert it later to a Roth. Uh, one of the benefits of converting it to a Roth is, of course, it grows tax-free, uh, can be used, the basis, meaning the original contribution, can be used uh, or withdrawn and the earnings can stay there. Option number three, I sort of already mentioned that you can combine with your 401k plan and save for an HSA uh, in addition to the 401k. So you can really double dip on that savings. And then option number four is you could fund or convert an IRA to a Roth IRA, if you already have a traditional IRA and you didn't deduct some of those contributions, or even if you did, you might want to convert it because in the long run, you might be in the lowest tax bracket you're in right now. Um, Certainly while converting to a Roth will cost you taxes this year under the right circumstances, it may make sense over your lifetime. So just be thinking about that again, gross tax deferred, um, tax free, I should say, if you put money into a Roth. And although you have to pay tax on it right now, depending on your tax bracket, that might be the time that you should be paying tax on it. It might be your lowest tax bracket time. One of the other goals that you might be saving for is future medical bills. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but here again is where an HSA can be very helpful to you. Or have we mentioned a Roth? Contributions um, can be reduced on the HSA Uh, for federal and some state tax purposes. And so even if you don't have an HSA at work, like let's say they don't have an account for you, but you have a high deductible plan, you can actually open an HSA uh, on your own. Again, as long as you have a high deductible plan, the benefit of of accumulating funds in the Roth is that the money can be pulled out in chunks in retirement without impacting your tax rate at all. And medical expenses can come out in chunks as well. So whether you have an HSA or a Roth, those both can help you in the long run fund goals uh, for for health benefits. Uh, Another big benefit that a lot of people overlook is funding charitable um, goals. You can contribute appreciated stock versus cash to your charity. So that's option one. You avoid the capital gains related to selling the stock and you can take the cash that you are going to give to the charity and invest it. So really you're giving maybe low cost basis, meaning what you paid for at stock to a charity. They turn around and sell it. They don't have to pay the taxes on it because they're a charity. If you really like the stock, you can go ahead and purchase it back. Um, the stock may go up and down in value between when you give it and when the charity sells it, but that's the risk they actually assume you don't. Uh, and there may be some small transaction costs associated with that, but we often, we recommend this quite a bit, especially when people are interested in, in uh, giving some of their low cost basis stock, as, as I mentioned. Another way to fund charitable goals, especially now since itemized deductions are changing so much and really make it 
hard to contribute and deduct on your Schedule A is that some years we will bunch to charitable uh, contributions or charitable distributions for several years. And then so we have a large amount in one given year, along with maybe your taxes and your mortgage interest. Um, so maybe you don't give for a year or two, but then you give large contributions for those years. So setting that money aside, knowing that you're going to bunch up um, the charitable distributions that you're making is beneficial to you because if you just evened it out, you'd never be able to take them if you're if you're generally doing a standard deduction. You may be able to get the tax deduction for charitable contributions in some years, as I mentioned, but then in other years, you may not. And a donor advised fund is a great way to do this as well. We often recommend that to a lot of our clients in a big year, just donate a big chunk, and then you can dole it out over three years as an option. All right. So thinking about um, some other things that might be goals of yours, what we call is to reduce the drag on your non-qualified investments and cash flow related to investments. So that's money held outside of your 401k, 403b, pensions, IRAs, Roth, all of that sort of stuff. One of the options that we suggest, especially if you are in the 15% tax bracket, is take long-term capital gains up to the amount that you would put up that would put you over into the next tax bracket because those gains are taxed at 0%. So so keep your tax bracket very low at that 15% tax rate um, and, and you'd pay 0% in capital gains. So uh, that's something that's a lot of people aren't aware of. So let's say you're in the 12% tax bracket right now, looking at what the chart is, if you were to sell a little bit of your stock that's at a gain, um, you would pay 0% on that capital gain because of your, your lower tax, tax bracket. And by taking your income close to the next bracket, like I said, you pay 0% versus uh, the the 15% tax on the long-term capital gains. So, um, you know, that that's hugely beneficial. If you run the risk of, um, just as an FYI, you run the risk of missing something in your tax projection that would put you over that 15% tax bracket. So you could end up paying a little bit more taxes than needed if you weren't, if you weren't careful in your calculations. That's why a lot of times we wait till very close to the end of the year to do this because we usually have a lot of the data at that point in time. If you're, uh, option number two, if you're mutual fund, if you have mutual funds, many of them will um, be distributing capital gains. So find out how much of those uh, will be um, provided to you. You can usually call your financial advisor or the fund company and ask them what the estimates are for capital gains. Uh, and then look for loss opportunities in your other holdings to offset some of those. Again, by you know looking for some losses, you might be able to get yourself back into underneath the 15% tax bracket or keep you in the 15% tax bracket. Find out um, how much you will be receiving as a tax bill, that, you know, in later in the year, and and maybe decide whether or not you should just go ahead and take it this year, or if you need to do some offsetting, if that's even an option. With those mutual funds, you often don't have any option of deferring those capital gain distributions because the mutual fund companies themselves have to pay them off, so um, or have to pay them out. That's a condition of them keeping their tax favored strategy and not not paying tax within the mutual fund itself. So just be aware of that. It's something that sometimes surprises people at the end of the year. Option number three, uh, sort of the same line of uh, donating in a way. If you have family members that you want to gift stock to, then you can gift long-term appreciated stock to other companies. 
um, or mutual funds for that matter, to charities or to um, a relative that's in a lower tax bracket by gifting this appreciated stock, then you uh, take it out of your tax bracket and ideally are putting it into a lower tax bracket. I know that gifting shares isn't always as satisfying as writing a check when you, especially, and sometimes when you're receiving it, it's not either. But you know, certainly from a standpoint of maximizing the gift, this is this is a way to do that. Moving into the home stretch here, tax strategy by goal with reducing f- future taxes. That's something that's very important to us. We think about it an awful lot. Option number one, if you are in a lower tax bracket now than you anticipate to be next year, there are several things you can do. You can take capital gains or short-term gains to balance your portfolio more tax efficiently. You can contribute to a Roth IRA. You can accelerate any income. Sometimes that's helpful. You could do a Roth conversion or contribute to a backdoor Roth IRA if you can't make a direct uh, contribution. You could take distributions from a qualified plan if you're over age 59 and a half, and then for any payments that can be deducted until next year. The tax benefits for this is when I, um, whenever you have e- uneven income, it makes sense to look at managing itemized deductions because bunching of deductions can be even more valuable then. Or if you're going to be phased um, out of one year, shifting how much you have in, in one year versus another can be very helpful. The calculation, however, can be complex, and we do suggest that you have a tax specialist or a planner assist you with complicating, uh, completing that uh, option. Now, the risk is, a, again, we always want to talk about risk because some actions can trigger AMT, what's called alternative minimum tax, uh, which is why you need to consult an advisor. And bunching in, um, the accelerated item, itemized deductions will be more critical and more difficult under the new laws and the higher standard deductions. Um, So this will take careful planning and may require, uh, again, somebody who's focusing on tax uh, advice work. So one other option that you might be interested in is if you're in a higher tax bracket now than you anticipate to be for next year is defer any capital gains if you can or defer rebalancing your portfolio into the next year if that's going to cause capital gains. Of course, defer any income such as bonuses or payments if you have that option until next year. Also defer any IRA distributions if you can and accelerate any itemized distributions or deductions uh, into this tax year as paying next year's charitable contributions. And um, this year, again, a donor advised fund is another great option for that. Whenever you, again, whenever you have unearned uneven income, it does make sense to make sure that you're looking at those things very closely. And finally, the last tax strategy, of course, to avoid penalties, make sure that your withholdings will cover about 90% of your tax liability or 100% of what you owed last year. That can, that can stop you from paying excess fees and penalties for underwithholding. The penalty can range anywhere from 0.05% to 25%. And who wants that? So um, make sure that you take a moment to calculate out what it is that you're going to owe for the year. This is a great time to be doing that. As I mentioned in last week's session, you know, plant this is a great, good time to plan ahead as you're looking back. Um, sometimes it can, you know, I know the rules are tough and some of the stuff is not really what you want to be focusing your time on. But I think 
understanding that there are some tax strategies that can help you also achieve your goal or that your goals can help you achieve some of your tax strategies, I think is very important. We hope, I know this was a lot, as I mentioned, I have put uh, a a document in the show notes for you to be able to grab and, and look through some of the things that I mentioned. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to any questions, concerns that you have. Coming from uh, somebody who is a listener, they did ask me to explain the difference between uh, AGI, which is adjusted gross income, and modified AGI. So those are two terms that sometimes are being tossed around. So AGI is your adjusted gross income. That's after you're taking your um, deductions like your IRA, student loans, those kinds of things. Some items will look and say, can um, can I, for example, um, when we're looking at some of the um, items that are tax exempt, it'll ask you for your modified adjusted gross income. Modified adjusted gross income is kind of an important number because it determines whether or not you can contribute to a Roth IRA or if you can deduct an IRA. It also sometimes comes into eligibility for education tax benefits and income tax credits. So it's it's important to know that there's a difference between the two. Uh, it's basically your income, your household in- adjusted gross income number with any tax exempt interest income added back in and some of the deductions, as I mentioned. So it's important to take uh, those two numbers or understand the definition uh, because it, it, it does bring into calculating some of the eligibility that you have. First of all, um, to quickly how to how to actually calculate the modified adjusted gross income, you first determine your um, your AGI, and then you're looking at adding back those certain deductions that you add back in as a general, like things that you took out, I should say. When you're looking at AGI, you're looking at things like all of the income that you have. And then we are able to, to if you're ever looking at a schedule or a 1040, you'll notice that it, it adds up all of the income that you have um, as a like wages, taxable income, like wages and interest income and all that sort of stuff. And then afterwards, it will actually look, have you look at things like, uh, did you make a um, adjustment to your income? Did you contribute to an IRA? Did you uh, have uh, schedule one adjustments, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That gives you your adjusted gross income. And then after that, you have standard deductions or itemized deduction giving you your taxable income. So I won't get into it too deep with this particular podcast, but I do appreciate the question. Hopefully I answered your question about the difference between AGI and modified AGI. The best place to look for some of this information is on irs.gov website if you want to dig in a bit deeper or stay tuned because we are going to get into some of these discussions next week when Kate Welker joins me. Uh, Kate is one of our financial planners and 
um, certified financial planners on the team, and she definitely specializes in tax. So uh, we will explain more, but we do want to thank the listener for sending us that question. We think it's great. And if you have any questions, please feel free to send them to them. We'll try to grab one out of the mailbag and place it on the podcast. If you've liked this podcast, please feel free to subscribe, share it with your friends and like us on iTunes so that we can continue with our goal of getting more financial education out into the world. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.